Hello! Welcome to Everything is Interesting, your science show on X-Ray FM. I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I'm Kira Klingenberg. We're joined in the studio today by science enthusiast extraordinaire Ed Curtis. Welcome I, in. Thank you. I am a science enthusiast the same way a three-year-old is a construction vehicle enthusiast. <laughs> That's a really good joke right off the bat. We're finishing up our season about all different types of loops and cycles by tackling one of the most mysterious questions out there. Is time as we know it a loop? This is something everyone from the great philosophers and scientists to modern day movie makers and writers have pondered over. And still, we don't have a definitive answer. But that certainly doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of related stuff and science to explore. And by exploring what we do know, we will enrich your contemplation of what we don't know. At least hopefully. In the last episode, we went deep into the biological mechanisms within our bodies and the bodies of other organisms that directly impact our ability to perceive the passage of time in the first place. With Ed's help, we pose the question, if time is something we define based on our perception, does that mean that time itself is just a human construct? If a universe exists, but no one has a stopwatch, does time exist? Boom. I mean, that's that's like literally the theme, <laughs> that's the whole thesis of today. On today's episode, we're going to zoom out a bit and explore what it would mean for time to run over and over again in a loop. And why we may never know whether or not that's the case. We'll take a look at the science that gave birth to the ideas and the science that still keeps us asking questions and looking for answers in other places. We will finish this season off with a bang. Maybe some kind of big bang? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's very <laughs> clever. Yeah. I sense a lead in to our very first topic. And that is, was there time before the universe began? Believe it or not, determining if time passes in a linear or cyclical fashion actually has a lot to do with determining how the universe began in the very first place. So probably all of our listeners are familiar with the Big Bang. It's the idea that the universe began as an explosion of energy and mass hurtling outwards into an ever-expanding universe. If time proceeds in a linear fashion, then we would consider the Big Bang to be the beginning of time and the progress of universal expansion to be the linear progression of time forward into the future. As the universe bloats ever outwards, time marches on. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Really good lyrics to a song. But if time ran in a loop, this wouldn't be the complete picture of things. If time indeed cycles back on itself, that implies that the universe, which has been universally expanding in every direction since the Big Bang, will eventually slow down, reverse its course, shrink back down to the size of a marble, and start all over again, too. This is a theory known as the Big Bounce. It essentially implies that the Big Bang has already occurred an infinite number of times and that it will continue to occur over and over forever. Now, but so the entire history of the universe just rewinds like a tape. Yeah, it's weird. I know. OK, but would it rewind the same way a movie rewinds? Would everything that's ever happened happen again just in reverse? And then if and when it reached the beginning of things, would it just, just play out again? Is this happening exactly like a VCR? Uh, yeah. If we had those answers, I think this show would be over and we probably would all have Nobel Prizes. <laughs> 
<laughs> With the research we currently have at our disposal here in 2019, scientists are pretty darn sure that the Big Bang happened. But the idea that it continues to happen over and over again is just a hypothesis. So we don't have a whole lot of details about what an implosion of all the matter in the universe would look like. Really, there's something way more fascinating and strange than whether the Big Bang happened once or infinite times. And that is what we want to focus on. Stranger than imagining all of history rewinding and repeating and rewinding and repeating again. (laughs) Yes, actually stranger than that. So from what we know about the relationship between mass and energy and time... It's actually possible to infer that time itself didn't even exist until after the universe was already formed. It's easy to imagine a universe exploding and imploding and re-exploding and rewinding and going forward. Let's say like it happens every 20 billion years, right? So then there would be this big bang at the 20 billion year mark, the 40 billion mark, the 60 billion mark. But what if time is not continuous? What if it doesn't exist independently from matter and space? Then all those time stamps of the universe's birthday every 20 billion years or whatever would be meaningless. And time itself would be intricately linked to the existence of the rest of the universe. Whoa. Yeah. It's, it's stranger. We <laughs> it told like you. It's like floating away. <laughs> That's how our brains feel. Oh, I can't handle it. Let me try to put it this way. When we think of the creation, so-called creation, of the universe, I think what most people picture is this blank canvas of space-time on which onto somebody threw a big, I don't know, blob of paint that represents matter, right? And as we in 2019 observe the universe expand over time, what we're seeing is the metaphoric paint drip down the canvas and make bigger and bigger pictures. But what we're saying is what if the canvas of space and its physical dimensions and the time it takes that matter slash paint to drip down the canvas only exists because the paint itself exists? So you mean that things in the universe exist to experience and travel through time are actually what caused time to exist at all. Yeah. it's I know it's a really esoteric concept, but there is actually physics to back it up. It all has to do with mass, which is what separates matter from pure energy. Physicists have been able to observe that particles that have mass experience time differently depending on what speed they're traveling through the universe. So mass must be significant when it comes to time. And here's the kicker mass didn't exist until way after the universe as we know it came into being. What? Okay, that's not actually true. It was actually like one second after the universe came into being, but like in the particle physics world, that's an extremely long time. That still makes me feel like, what? Oh, as it should, as it should. Hey, spoiler alert, none of this episode is going to make any darn sense. (laughs) All right, since we're all feeling a little bit glazed over here, let's, let's go back and start at the very beginning. The beginning of the universe. If, you know, indeed there was a beginning, since time might not exist. If indeed there was a beginning. So about 13.8 billion years ago, according to conventional modern physics, all of the matter and energy and light in the universe was condensed into one very, very small, hot, dense space. So that that would be the singularity that I hear so much about from the kids these days. It's infinitely dense and infinitely small. Yeah. I mean, okay, that would be very cinematic and nice, but... There's actually no proof that the singularity ever happened. All that we can reasonably prove with the evidence that we have now is that around 10 to the negative 30 
seconds before the Big Bang occurred. That's a very, very quick. <laughs> uh, the whole observable universe was somewhere between the size of a city block and the size of a soccer ball. If there was a time smaller and denser than this, the laws of general relativity that govern our current reality couldn't have existed. So it's like really hard to imagine what that was like. So it's entirely possible that the singular, like the infinitely dense singularity did exist and all of mass and matter and energy were in this like infinitely dense spot, but we have no way to prove that because or even infer anything about it, right? Yeah, it's yeah, because, just a speculation. Because we have no idea what reality would be like if if relativity and like the current laws of physics didn't exist. <laughs> right. So it could have been that's anything. All, that's the could've only way we can describe it. Could have been an elephant. Nobody knows. Anyways, what we do know is that back then everything was so hot that pretty much the only thing that existed was pure energy. And it was only once everything started to expand and cool down did some of that energy slow down, start interacting with something called the Higgs field, and end up getting converted into matter. According to Einstein's theory of relativity, matter is just like energy, except for the fact that matter has mass. If you want to get really philosophical about what mass is and why some particles have it and some particles don't, we're going to need some beer and a lot more hours in the studio. But the very simple explanation is that mass is a measurement of how hard it is to get a particle moving when you, like, try to push it through space. It also plays into how gravitationally attractive that particle is to everything else in the universe. So it's really important for our discussion today to examine this point in the beginning of all things, where, where the point where energy condensed down into matter with mass. Because this is the point at which you could argue time actually began. So this is difficult to wrap my head around. You're saying that time begins when mass is created, but also there were things happening before mass was created. Mm-hmm. So all those things before mass, they happened before time? Yes. So when when or where or how how did those things occur? If there's no time, how did what was right, it like, imaginary it time? <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's it's very abstract. It's, <laughs> it was in a fever dream, that's all I can tell you. No, I don't know. We just we don't have the words. We don't know how to describe it. It's it's reasonable, I guess, to say that we can't explain it, you know, at least with the language that we have available to us right now. Because if you think about it, the concept of there being a point in time where there was no time, uh, that's kind of a paradox that our brains just can't handle. You know, we define our existence imagining time as something that encompasses all other things. Just by saying the words when and before to talk about the creation of mass, well, that locks us back into the idea that time is something that can be used to describe it. But in a universe where time is a thing that itself had a beginning and that other things existed when it did not, we have to accept another definition of time altogether, and that is super hard for our brains to wrap around. It's hard, like, trying to imagine nothingness. Like, the, just you're, If you're imagining anything when you imagine nothingness, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right, because yeah. you're imagining something. I imagine nothingness is that really scary wolf from The NeverEnding Story. But then that's something. Uh, it's a paradox. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Anyway, right. So, okay. Some things that maybe the best description of reality are so outside the ways that our brains perceive reality that it becomes impossible for us to comprehend it concretely. Regardless of how hard it is to imagine a time without time, we can still explain why this might be the case. And it comes down to two very important concepts in physics. One, that particles that have no mass 
all necessarily move at the speed of light. And two, that at the speed of light, there is no passage of time. To help give us some insight in how to talk about how things with mass experience time, let's try a little thought experiment. Okay, Ed, you game? I'm, I am here to help. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're not putting you in a sensory deprivation tank this time. Not this time. So no worries. I'd like you to imagine that you are just some random pile of matter. I, just has, a big it's done and done. Yeah, that pile is of matter. Easier to imagine than I'd like to admit. Cool. I mean, you technically are, but you're organized. You know, yeah, but you're just I am blah. so far ahead. You're of just a big here. like someone took a t-shirt gun full of matter. Just, pff, that is you, and now you are observing yourself racing through the universe. Okay, you're just oh, woo! There I go. Well, there you go. Right now, as you race through the universe, your particles they all have mass, and you're moving it about I don't know, let's say forty three thousand miles per hour at least in relation to all the other things in the galaxy. That is the literal speed that you are moving in relation yeah, to the other give stars. Yeah, give or take, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you, Ed, you're a speed demon, you pile of matter, you. And you want to go faster. And to do that, you have to add more energy to your mass-containing particles of matter. So you start absorbing energy, and your speed keeps getting faster and faster and faster. Which is great for you, the speed demon, but there's a limit to this. Because at some point, once you've acquired enough energy, your matter particles will actually transform and become massless packets of just pure energy, otherwise known as photons, the stuff of light. And once you become photons... By definition, you will now be moving at the speed of light because this is the speed at which all photons, without exception, move. So what what causes this transformation? Is it just the fact that my energy is increased to a certain point? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I, I mean, what I would do is keep in mind that this is purely hypothetical, right? We're just doing a thought experiment. Because if, if in reality you became pure energy, it would either be because infinite energy was applied to you or because you went through a nuclear explosion. So we could pretend you went through a nuclear explosion. Because if, if you really, any particle with mass can never actually reach the speed of light. But, and, and I... The reality is I don't know enough about this process to know why you would turn into energy. It's really mostly about thinking about how quickly you'd be moving through the universe. Right. To, to try and give us an idea of how things, how the speed of things is different. Focus on the mass. speed of things. Okay. Yeah. So, so okay, the, the important thing to take out of this is that nothing in the known universe moves faster than the speed of light. Photons, are, that's it. They're fast. That is the cap on all motion. So at some point, you're going to hit that threshold and that's it. No more speed increase for you. But here is the meat of this pie. During this process of starting to move faster and faster and faster through the universe, something else strange is happening to you, the pile of matter over there. The faster you go, for you time actually is going slower and slower. So this is what's known as the theory of time dilation. It's part of Einstein's theory of general relativity. If you don't believe me or you just like really want to understand the concept in detail, you can go listen to our two-part episode about black holes and Einstein's explanation of what space-time is. Oh, yeah. Those were good. And by, Einst by Einstein, I mean our producer, Amalia, right. who did a really fabulous job the of being Einstein. Einstein. <laughs> and we spent nearly a whole episode on relativity and time-space, so it, it's a good one. Go mm. listen to him. But for the sake of time, in this episode, here's just a quick crash course on why time slows down the faster you go. 
So imagine you have one of those kids' toys that's just, you know, a rubber bouncy ball attached to a wooden paddle. I'm imagining. Okay, cool. You know those ones. So let's say the bouncy ball represents a photon, one of those energy-packed light particles. And remember, photons can only ever move at the speed of light, no faster and no slower. Right, because when I became a pho photon, I, I, the only way I got there, I had to have enough energy to reach the speed of light, and nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now imagine that Kira, who's holding this photon ball with a paddle, is hitting the photon ball up into the air, up to the very precise distance of 299,792 kilometers. And this means that the photon comes in contact with the paddle every one second exactly. Bounce, one second. Bounce, two seconds. Bounce, three. And so on. I'm with you. Okay. Now let's put me with the paddle and the ball on a train, bouncing that same photon up to the same distance over and over. And this train is now moving horizontally at a speed of 800 kilometers per second. And you, Ed, are standing on the side of the tracks observing me. But you're not on the train with me. So you're watching the train speed by you. And also the train is transparent. That's how you can see me. Or I'm at a window or something. There we go. Or I can just see through the train. Yeah, x-ray vision. <laughs> okay, so so for Kira, who's on the train with the, you know, photon bouncy ball, she is seeing the photon travel vertically up and down once every second. But you, Ed, you're watching the bouncy ball travel not only vertically due to the bouncing, you're also watching it go 800 kilometers a second horizontally due to the movement of the train as it passes you by. So technically, since from my perspective, watching the train go by, the photon ball is moving up and over simultaneously. I'm seeing it move in a diagonal line, yeah. which is longer than the simple vertical one Kira's seeing it move on. Oh, yeah. that's very good math you've done there. You could say it's following the hypotenuse of a triangle with side lengths of 800 kilometers and 299,792 kilometers, which means you you don't, well, it means you actually observe the photon travel approximately 300,000 kilometers. You it. That's how, that's how long it was for you. Mm -hmm. And a diagonal. And since the speed light travels is precisely 299,792 kilometers per second, and that is always constant, during the same time one second passes for me on the train, that means that slightly more than one second passes for you. So time is actually moving more slowly for me because I am moving faster through space. Okay, but the, the second passes the same for both of us, right? It's the same second. It's just that it's the way we're perceiving it is different, right? <sighs> no. I mean, look, if it was a regular rubber bouncy ball that we were watching, then like, yes, I would agree with you. It would be a matter of perspective. But remember, a photon always moves at exactly the same speed, no matter what, to every observer. And that speed is 299,792 kilometers per second. No faster, no slower. So by definition, if you, Ed, saw the photon go further than those 299-whatever-thousand kilometers, more than one second has passed for you in your reality. It's not an optical illusion. You and Kira are both witnessing the photon hit the paddle at exactly the same moment, but the time in between one photon bounce and the next is, for you, Ed, literally a little bit longer than it is for Kira. Another way to think about it is through the mathematical equation, time equals distance divided by speed. Since we know the distance you saw the photon go is longer, and by definition, its speed cannot change, then the only variable that had to have changed is time. 
in what? that equation. I, I'm not sure I understand. You're saying that I'll see light go the same speed no matter what speed I'm going? Because what intuitively makes sense to me is that if me and a photon were traveling the same direction down the same road, I would see the photon traveling at the speed of light minus whatever speed I was going. That's the way it works when I'm driving on the highway. The cars go the same speed as me, look like they're basically not doing anything. We're, we're moving together. Yeah, no. This is one of those, like, truth is stranger than fiction moments. If you were driving a car at the speed of light and you turned your headlights on, the photons coming out of your headlights would also be moving at the speed of light. But that doesn't mean that, like, you wouldn't see. To you, the observer, those photons coming out of your headlights are moving at the speed of light. And that's why I cannot stress enough, nothing in this episode is going to make intuitive sense or even maybe like sense at all. But but that's the reality is to every observer, light is always going the same speed. Does that make any sense? <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot. We, you know what? We're going to bang our heads against the wall trying to figure this one out. But, but at least, I guess, take our word for this. And it is, it is based on the laws of physics that govern our universe. Just accept that time does indeed physically slow down as the speed of some object increases. All right. I'm willing to accept that just so we can keep advance. It's, <laughs> it's difficult for me to wrap my, bra- Absolutely. my head around. Do we need to take a break so we can all cry under the table for a little bit? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I, I take... wouldn't say I completely understand it. No, but... I don't. I think this is one of those, if you, if you think that you fully understand this, then it's because you are a fool. Right. Yes. Your ego is too big. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody, How no one understands How long did this us. take Einstein to figure out? Yeah. yeah. Long time. Oh, man. And just wait till you see how it relates to black holes. Then it gets even stranger. It does. Okay, so let's leave that behind us and and just remember that important point that time physically slows down as the speed of a body of or object increases. Okay, and let's take that back to our thought experiment where you, Ed, are a pile of matter hurtling through space. It's been a while since we've been. I've already become nostalgic for being this this (laughs) pile of matter. I have news for you. You're always a pile of matter hurtling through space true for the good times but you're yeah you're not always shot out of a t-shirt gun though so here you are here you are ed you're going faster and faster and as you do time is actually becoming slower and slower for you at least in relation to how time is passing for all the other boring piles of matter you left here on earth at some point you're going to reach the speed of light and become a photon and this is the fastest that anything in the universe can go And this is the speed at which the passage of time for you slows down to zero. What what slows down? You mean it it, time stops? It freezes? Does it end? What what happens? I'm not sure anything that's infinitely small can have a beginning or an end, but essentially, yes. For anything moving at the speed of light, time essentially ceases to exist. It just grinds to a halt. It's just done. It's over. No more time. Which means as a photon, a packet of pure energy, you would simply not experience the passage of time at all. To you, Ed, the photon, there is no difference between the past, the present, the future. Everything for you happens instantaneously. So speed and time really are linked then, which means that time only matters for those things moving slower than the speed of light. Yeah, that's a really good way of thinking about it. Another weird consequence that's worth bringing up is that if time doesn't pass for you, the photon, you are simultaneously in every destination you will ever go to, or possibly even in every single point in the universe if you're going to go there, I guess. 
There's no distance for you to travel because you're already there. So not only does time not exist, but space, distance for you has no meaning. I'm beating my head against the wall right now. (laughs) Cry break. So just what incarnation does this say about time? (laughs) And space for that matter. That it exists for some things, but not for others. For a beam of light, time's irrelevant. But for a bunch of pokey slow humans uh, like me, time has relevance. Right. So the implications of this is that if you go back to the beginning of things, you know, the, that first second of the universe, not even not even a full second, when there was only massless energy, stuff like photons existing, then it's possible that time could not have even been a thing at that point because all of that energy would be moving at the speed of light and things moving at the speed of light don't experience time. So time would have been completely irrelevant. Time would have only begun to come into play once matter with mass appeared. And that, my friends, is why time is perhaps, we don't know, but it's possible, a completely different concept than the ever-present road that we're traveling down. Okay, so I'm this I'm willing to entertain that it's time's maybe a little more complicated than I think of it. <laughs> a little kind of you. Fair enough. I'll take that entertainment. That's that's a good step. But doesn't I mean you have to admit it suggests it suggests all this craziness suggests one how incredibly freaking cool our reality is or could be or maybe and two just how difficult it a, a challenge it is to actually put a definition to time and bringing it all back to the question of is time a loop or not? Well, if you can't even define what time is or how it behaves, how can you possibly know if it ever started or stopped or if it has been endlessly looping in a flat circle? How can you even put that kind of description onto it? You can't. Cry break. Well, right, so as a photon that I don't experience the passage of time, uh, what what would the what would the point of time would there be a beginning or end? There there'd be nothing. Time wouldn't even be a thing to me. I'd just sort of I'd just sort of exist. Yeah, yeah. And here's another implication to all of this. We've just taken a look at how time passes differently for objects moving at different speeds, but that's further complicated by the fact that even if you could measure time with a ruler, you still then have to factor in how you're perceiving time. So like, you know, maybe here on Earth, like me and a hummingbird are moving through the universe at the same speed and therefore time is passing for us at the same rate literally, but the hummingbird might be perceiving time as going slower. But, But why? Good question. So it was recently discovered that animals whose bodies move faster may also perceive time going slower as well. And these tend to be the animals that are smaller, they move more quickly, they have faster metabolisms, and it all means that their bodies do things like build new proteins or break sugars down into energy faster than their larger counterparts. To test this theory of time perception, researchers at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, exposed several species of animals to a series of rapidly flashing lights. Using electrodes to measure the neural activity in the animals' brains, they were able to detect at which speed of flashing lights each animal began to perceive a continuous solid light. This is analogous to the way that we humans experience like a series of pictures shown in rapid succession as a movie. The moment where flashes appear to merge together into a constant light source is called the critical flicker fusion frequency. 
Oh, that is just like the Mega Molecule from the last one. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good band and name. And the super charismatic nuclei. Super. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so to many animals who are trying to survive in this brutal world of ours, the time in between flashes of light or film frames, it's not useful. And so it's just not worth the expenditure of energy to process what's happening in those gaps. Therefore, our brains have evolved to perceive only the time filled with sensory input and ignore the brief moments in between. Our human brains will happily identify about 11 different images per second. But try to feed it 22 images in a second, and your brain will say, yeah, no, thank you. It's a colossal waste of precious energy to process that many individual images. I'm cutting out the excess information, and I'm just going to perceive that this is a smooth-flowing movie now. Oh, so it's, it's like a flipbook. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Flipbooks are just little manual movies. But for some animals, all the activity happening in between these 11 images, they can actually mean the difference between life and death. Flies, for example, can process four times as much information as we can in the same amount of time. So in one second, they will see the fly swatter coming to kill them as being in 44 different positions. In order to process all of those images, the fly must be perceiving time as going slower than we do. That's what allows them to react to their environment more quickly than we do. It's kind of like Neo from, what's that movie? The Matrix? (laughs) Anyway, the fact that animals that move more quickly can perceive time more slowly has led the researchers from Trinity College to believe that the difference in time perception for different species evolved as a survival tactic. They also hypothesize that animals who use flashing lights as communication, such as fireflies and some bioluminescent marine species, they might be taking advantage of the larger predator's low critical flicker fusion frequency, giving them a secret channel for using their flickering light language. So you see our dilemma. How can we possibly begin to define something like time that changes so drastically for different beings? So if if time is different for for it's perceived differently it's it's experienced differently by by so many different creatures you know mm-hmm. if you're a you know creature is big and creature small experience it differently mm-hmm. i mean is it is there even a point in trying to say it's the same thing are we is is there even a point of this unified idea of time that we have? There's a Maybe. point because it's fascinating. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean. That's absolutely possible. Could be that all of this discussion of time is pointless and ludicrous. Yeah, because, I mean, it's very, I mean, as we've talked about, maybe it's this, like, concrete road. I mean, maybe it really is just, like, the other three dimensions of space, up, down, left, right, you know. Maybe time really is something that we're moving through, like, the way you drive down a road. And then again, maybe. Or maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's none of those things. Which is which is great. This is why this conversation is so great, because we're pushing the status quo and challenging our brains to reconsider our notion of time altogether. And it's useful because once you're able to break through those preconceived notions and and think about it in different ways, then you can kind of start to think about some of the weirder theories out there about what time could be. Like, for instance, the theory that time is an emergent property, something that doesn't exist on its own, but rather is a consequence of other properties of a system. So an emergent property. Okay, an example is like one water molecule isn't necessarily swayed by the gravity of the moon, right? Because there are stronger forces acting upon that molecule. But you get several trillion water molecules together. Suddenly you have a body of water that experiences daily tides. Maybe a more applicable example, you you could go back to the idea of that rapidly flickering images that appear to be a movie for us. Because of the way that we are experiencing it and the way our brains are processing all of those images, 
we see a movie as a one-directional continuous string of events. But a movie reel is just several still images that have been laid out in a sequence. The perception that the frames become like a seamless moving picture is an emergent property of the way in which those images are being, you know, flashed out in front of our eyes. Does that, does that make any kind of sense? I'm, this is sort of starting to work out in my head. Here. <laughs> right. So it's, it's just like it, it comes, time comes out of other things. So maybe it goes back to what we we're saying in the first episode is this idea that maybe time is a human construct. Yeah, possibly. That like maybe really what it is, is an emergent property of our brains trying to perceive the processes and and time. Oh, oh God, see, I use the word time. And like (laughs) keep track of them in some logical way so that we can function and survive. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, that idea that we were talking about earlier that, you know, perhaps... The uni- all the stuff in the universe isn't like paint dripping down a canvas. It's like time and space. They are the canvas, but they only exist because they're an emergent property of the paint existing. Yeah. And if that's true, then time time doesn't really exist, or at least it definitely doesn't flow linearly like a like a river or a street. I mean, we we've pretty much dismantled everything I thought I I knew about time and. And we still didn't really answer the big question, is it a loop or not? But that's that's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think we I'll can. Be, yeah. I, I mean, mean, we can't honestly even say that it's not linear. Like, it, it as, as far as we know, that we're traversing toward an answer that's probably not. But I still can't stand here and be like, no, you were wrong, Ed. <laughs> because we don't know. You actually might be right. Maybe it is a linear thing that we're following. It just then we might have the whole beginning of the universe wrong. You know? Right? I mean, like, look, if you take anything away from this, it's number one. No one knows anything. <laughs> just just in general. None I'm, of us I am comfortable with that being our conclusion here. <laughs> None of yeah. us know anything. But number two, if time is not what we imagine it to be, right, which is this just like flowing river, like you said, then like maybe the idea of linear or circular doesn't even apply to time. Right. Like we maybe we're coming at it in the wrong direction. Yeah, how do you altogether. Oh, I like what you did there. <laughs> but truthfully, it was like how do you how do you put a characteristic like linear or circular onto a construct that you can't even define or measure yeah. or, you know. And this is the life of physicists all over the planet. They just I have know. to ask these questions and do it the best they can to give, figure out. But, you know, give, give your local physicists yeah. a hug. They need it. This is also, though, why science is so cool, because we have unanswerable questions and yet we still we can pick away at them, you know, like understanding how mass and matter and energy are related. Those those help us to better grasp these larger ideas and at least formulate some theories that might actually get us towards an answer. So, I don't know, pretty cool. Yeah, I think it is. Well, has everyone's mind been sufficiently blown? Yes. Beyond. Beyond sufficiently. (laughs) You're welcome. What is the opposite of insufficient? What is a sort of super sufficient? Super sufficient. Super sufficient. sufficient Beyond sufficient. Mind blowing. Okay, well, then we have done our job super sufficiently. Ed, thank you so much for being here and waxing philosophical with us. Thank you for having me. I've had a wonderful time. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. With some really complicated stuff. And now, he's, now he's retreating under the table to cry. Huge big thanks, maybe a big bang thanks, Hi-o. to our producer Amalia Boyles and our editor Jenny Alpa and the rest of the X-Ray team. You are the best. And thanks to you, the listener, for your support, your time, Ha-ha. whatever that is, and your love of science. If you enjoyed this episode or you learned something new, please tell a few friends to download the show. It would really help us out immensely. 
You can find all of our episodes at everythingisinteresting.org as well as on iTunes, Google Play, and the all-new, very exciting X-Ray podcast site, xraypod.com. This has been a production of X-Ray FM and is brought to you by Science Project, the Portland-based nonprofit working to bring approachable science education to everyone. We'll see you guys next season when we tackle some more fun things. I think we might do a theme of invasions. We'll see. Yeah. But just that's that's parasites. my foreshadowing. We do like eight episodes about parasites. Until next time, I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. This is Everything is Interesting on X-Ray FM, where radio and science is yours. It's a